I'm obsessed with getting to the root of the problem. I want the most efficient way to fix things. And what I started to realize is that many of the problems that my clients came to me for, whether it's for coaching or, or on the podcast, you know, things like perfectionism and people pleasing and their negative self-talk, that a lot of that is rooted in the culture that we were raised in. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Seek the Joy podcast. Happy Seek the Joy Tuesday. I'm your host, Sydney Weiss, and on the podcast today, I'm joined by Andrea Owen. Andrea is an author, global speaker, and professional certified life coach who helps high-achieving women maximize unshakable confidence and master resilience. She's coming out with a brand new book next week on August 31st. It's called Make Some Noise, Speak Your Mind, and Own Your strength. And in today's episode, we really dive in to Andrea's new book. We talk about what it means to take up space and why we often fear shining too bright. Andrea walks us through the four steps to unlearning what we've been taught. And I really enjoyed this part of the episode. We then dive into why women's empowerment is actually an act of rebellion, modeling a new perspective and model really on leadership and why speaking our truth can often be intimidating. Andrea shares with us her obsession with Chacha de Gregorio from the movie Grease and her advice when it comes to cultivating more confidence. We also dive into why it's important to take what we need and leave the rest, especially when it comes to professional development and self-help, her biggest dream, the biggest risk Andrea's ever taken, and just so much more. One of the reasons why I do this podcast is because I really want you to be able to live a happier, more joyful, and just ease-filled life. And so that's why I'm so happy to share that today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. The last year and a half, there is no doubt it's been difficult. And that's why I think now more than ever, it's important that we have reliable resources that we can turn to. And that's where BetterHelp comes in. So this is how it works. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. It's easy and free to change counselors if you don't think the person you're matched with is a good fit. And this service is available for people worldwide too. BetterHelp also offers a broad range of expertise in their counselor network, so you'll get timely and thoughtful responses, and you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions too. So as a listener of Seek the Joy podcast, you will get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com slash seek the joy. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash seek the joy. The link will also be included in our show notes. Andrea has taught hundreds of thousands of women tools and strategies to really empower themselves to live their most kick-ass life through her speaking, her books, coaching, and her widely popular podcast called Make Some Noise. And so it was just a lot of fun to sit down with her for today's new episode. As always, I cannot wait to hear what you think about this one. What are your biggest takeaways, your insights, what resonated with you? Make sure to join the conversation on our social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We are at Seek the Joy Podcast everywhere. And no matter where you're tuning in right now, make sure to hit that follow button so you never miss a new episode. 
All right, that's it. That's all I've got for you for today's intro. Cannot believe we're really like at the end of August, the end of summer here. Um, I'm not ready to say goodbye. I'm not ready to say goodbye to summer 2021, but I am ready to dive in to this new episode with Andrea. So Andrea, thank you for such a fun conversation all about making noise, taking up space and the four steps to unlearning. So here it is with Andrea Owen. Andrea, thank you for coming on Seek the Joy podcast. I have been loving reading your new book, Make Some Noise. And by the time this episode airs, it will be out into the world and ready for everybody um, to read it. So it's called Make Some Noise, Speak Your Mind and Own Your Strength. What made you decide to write the book? And and also why now? Because I think the timing is so interesting. Yeah, well, thank you. I am I'm super excited to be here and have this conversation with you. And I wrote the book because honestly, if I'm gonna to be totally transparent, I was kind of pissed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was yeah. at a point where I had been doing this work in women's empowerment for a long time. I had written two previous books. And this is also coming off the heels of um, you know, the uh, what was happening socially after the 2016 election. And then in 2017, when the Me Me Too movement happened and Mm -hmm. all of these things that are happening socially and culturally and feeling all of that, you know, all the feelings that were involved with, with lots of people, lots of women. And I also kind of was looking around at our culture I'm obsessed with getting to the root of the problem. I Mm. want the most efficient way to fix things. And what I started to realize is that many of the problems that my clients came to me for, whether it's for coaching or, or on the podcast, you know, things like perfectionism and people pleasing and their negative self-talk that a lot of that is rooted in the culture that we were raised in. So for instance, you know, for women, we are raised to be nice, be accommodating, to Mm -hmm. take care of others, you know, to put other people's comfort before our own at all times, that that's what's considered a good woman. I'm using air quotes over here for people who can't see Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. And I got tired of yelling girl power, you know, you can do it. You just have to work really hard and, um, you know, want it hard enough and do these steps in this process when really it was the culture that was largely holding us back. And, you know, this isn't to blame any one person, um, or even like men it's, it's not, it's, it's, again, it's this culture that raised us that I wanted to point at. Yeah. I think it's more cultural than anything. And I think it's so interesting what you said. It came from a place of just being tired, pissed Mm -hmm. with the status quo of how things were going. Because you're right. I think we are taught from a very young age, don't make noise, be quiet, take up as little space as possible. And then as we get older and we're either in the corporate world or we're running our own businesses, or you're in the world of business, you're making a living, whatever profession you choose, there comes a time where you have to speak up for yourself. You have to assert yourself. You have to, um, or you choose to make a little bit more noise. And then we're, we, we feel uncomfortable. Like I'm sure you've had these moments where you speak up for yourself in a situation where maybe they didn't expect a woman to. And then you, you feel like, oh, should I have just done that? So it's so, it's like embedded culturally, but then at the same time we are working to, push ourselves to speak up for ourselves and to assert ourselves and put ourselves in positions of power. And it just doesn't Mm -hmm. feel natural at that point for so many of us. No, it doesn't. And I think, you know, I love the power conversation. I think that Mm. actually might be my next book, (laughs) Yes, but um, you know, we've also been taught that there's only one way to do it. And, you know, we follow men who do 
power a certain way. And a lot of women don't want to do it that way. And, but there's really no other models. And a lot of times, you know, there was a, there was a study in 2016, there was a Pew study and they looked at different attributes and, and words for, um, for people. And they had people rate them, you know, is this, is this good or bad for men versus women? And they were words like nurturing and, um, you know, beautiful and things like that. And the word power was scored very low for if a woman was viewed that way versus if it was a man. So this is in 2016. This wasn't even like in 1950 where you would think like, of course, you'd expect it. This was recent and it's still, um, it's still looked at for women. You know, we are stereotyped. We are um, categorized as bitchy or difficult Mm -hmm. if we exert our power. And a lot of times we don't know how to do it. So we kind of maybe don't have hard conversations the best and we don't know how to give constructive criticism and feedback and things like that. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a much bigger conversation. I think so too. You know, what you just said reminds me so much of how I think as women, we try and fit the mold of what leadership looks like for a man mm-hmm. rather than having the ability or the privilege to define leadership from this pers- perspective of a woman or anyone that identifies with being a woman or the feminine energy. And I think God, I just hope, you know, things continue to shift and move so that women can assert themselves and moves, move into positions of leadership, but do so in a way that really fits their own mold that makes the most sense for them, that feels nurturing, that feels empathetic, that is coming from a space of compassion and being mindful. You know, I know you talk in the book too about that women's empowerment is really an act of rebellion. This is really Uh what that, this, this conversation feels like that. It feels like rebellion, going against the mold, going against what we've been taught and been shown our whole lives. It is. And, and I, I hadn't thought about that before until I started thinking about this book and, and, and having conversations with some of my, my friends and colleagues around this topic. And and I remember having a conversation with my friend, Kate, and, and that statement came out, you know, women's empowerment is an act of rebellion because we are pushing back on these ways of being that we are taught again, Mm -hmm. um, that are good, that, that are kind of our place. And so when we push back on that, uh, you know, a lot of the work I do is around boundary setting. Women don't know how to have conversations with their partner or ask for a raise at work or ask for time off or, you know, talk to a friend that has been hurting their feelings. And that friend had no idea they were doing it. I I can't tell you, I just made a TikTok video about this today, literally Mm. like two hours ago about how often I hear, but I don't like confrontation. And oh, I'm like, yes. literally no one does. It's so no. stop saying that. Stop using that as an excuse because that's not what boundary setting is. It's just a hard conversation and you don't like it because there is a lot at stake and it's uncomfortable. Of course it's uncomfortable. No one like, if they, if they like confrontation, they're an a-hole. Like, I don't want to meet you. <laughs> yes. Yes. But it's just about having that hard conversation and right. speaking your truth and speaking your right. truth sometimes feels like the most intimidating thing. It's terrifying Mm -hmm. because on the other end of it, I think we anticipate rejection. We anticipate someone not understanding us, or we also anticipate how it could go really positively and someone actually understands how we're feeling. And that can feel like a shock too. Like it can go in both ways. Vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. I know you talk about too, in the first two chapters of the book, it's this concept of shining too bright. And it feels like it really Mm -hmm. resonates so much with what we've been talking about so far about taking up space and either our fear of 
if we do, what will happen if we take up too much, much space or just not knowing that it's something that we can do. So I think a good place to start with what I want to ask you is what does it really mean to take up space and how can we can begin to do that for ourselves if it's something that doesn't feel innate or, or natural? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. And taking up space typically looks like you know, on a practical level, it's sharing your opinion, Mm -hmm. whether you're doing it on social media or you're doing it at Thanksgiving with your family or you're doing it to your partner. Um, It is about taking up space with your body. I mean, no one can argue that we live in a fat phobic culture and, um, you know, hopefully we'll work to a place of, of fat acceptance. And it's also taking up space with your voice, just in general with your voice. And I also talk about in the book how even just walking down the street, women are more likely to get out of the way when a man Mm -hmm. is approaching versus the other way around. Mm -hmm. And it just, it's about noticing these subtle things that, that we do. And what I ask the reader to do is, is question why question your objections around it. And that, that's really the theme of the book a lot. I know we can get into that too. It's just, I'm not expecting people to change their entire life overnight. Like Mm -hmm. that is an impossibility. Like I just turned 46 and I'm still unlearning all of these things that I've been taught and conditioned to, to think and to believe and to do. First and foremost, I just want you to get curious. Like get curious about why you are afraid to take up space with your opinions or your body or your voice. Why are you afraid to... Uh, outshine others? Does it make you uncomfortable to, you know, tell your friends when you're out at happy hour that you just got a promotion and, you know, tell people how much money you're making because it's the most money you've ever made. Uh, and, And I'm not asking you to not be uncomfortable by it right away. I'm just asking you like, why do you think that is like, have a conversation with your friends about that, Mm -hmm. about why you're uncomfortable in the first place. Yeah. And chances are, if you feel this way, your friends feel this way as well. A hundred percent. And I think it's interesting too, because the more that I think about this topic of taking up space and any kind of fear or apprehension around it, I really feel like it comes down to this fear of shining too bright, which is what those chapters are about. And I'm curious, you know, in your experience or through your work, why do we fear shining too bright? Like, where does this mm-hmm. come from? Like, does it come from cultural norms? Like, I, I just think it's so, because I don't know if men feel this way. Like, if there's a man listening to this, please DM me and like, <laughs> let me know. Like, do you fear yeah. shining too bright? Because I know so many women, me included, who have this fear at times. Right. And, and you know, to be more specific about it, that that part of the book was spawned from a coaching session that I had with a with a longtime client mm-hmm. of mine who was afraid to talk about her successes with her family because her sister was having a, a really difficult time. Yeah. And it, it's the fear of outshining others. At, um, what's his name? The guy that wrote The Big Leap, Gay Hendricks. Is that his last name? I forget. I the book I is right behind me. That sounds, but he wrote, that sounds um, right a book called The Big Leap. And he talks about these these four main kind of like core beliefs that people have that prevent us from having more success. And one of them is that. And it's an interesting section because the example that he gives is kind of like a straw man type of example, which is fine. But I think for women, it looks a little bit different. And, you know, he talks about how this could come from our childhood based Mm -hmm. on like where we were with our siblings and things like that. But for women... To answer your question, Sydney, it's 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 about again how we were raised, mm-hmm. and do not act like you're too big for your britches. 
I don't know if it was like this when you were in middle school, but when I was in middle school, like one of the worst things you could be called was conceited mm. <laughs> you know, to like you care a little bit too much about your appearance because mm-hmm. you don't, and you know, and some, sometimes the prettiest girls were the ones that were, were bullied. And it's, um, you know, we are definitely taught to stay in our lane and to know our place. Yeah. And yeah. to, it's, a, it's very mixed messages too, you know? Um, and I want to stop for a moment and say like, Men also have their cultural crap yes. like that was yeah. that was put onto them, which has made it extremely difficult for them to grow and evolve and you know be emotionally mm-hmm. intelligent, et cetera. And there are some great books out there for that. Um, but I just wanted definitely. to acknowledge that yeah, it's not no. just women that mm-hmm. struggle. But yeah, like we are definitely taught what we should be like, and it's these mixed messages of be attractive enough to, you know, attract a mate, you know, you know, the male gaze, but not too much to where we're going to think that you care too much about how you look or that you're too sexy or we make assumptions about who you are sexually, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So much of this is about unlearning, right? It's like Mm -hmm. unlearning what we've been taught and learning the messages we received. And so we have to unlearn all of this. And I know at the end of every chapter, you outline four steps for Mm -hmm. readers to do this unlearning. So I would love to talk about this because I mean, the whole book is valuable, but if I could like point people to one aspect of this book, I think it's these steps about unlearning because it's so, it's so doable. So that's what I wanted. Thank you for saying that. I wanted it to be doable for the reader. Yeah. Okay. So to answer your question, the four steps of unlearning, I I wanted to make it very clear again, repeating what I said a few minutes ago, that this isn't about just turning your life upside down and and changing Mm -hmm. the way you think and everything that you do. This is a lifelong process. And so the first step is uh, to notice, just notice when you are judging another woman for her promotion or her financial goals. Even if she says she wants to make, you know, multiple six figures this year, are you secretly judging her? Um, If you are, what else? There's so many things <laughs> to mm-hmm. notice. So <laughs> if many. you're afraid, if you're afraid to shine too bright, if you're afraid to take up space, et cetera. So notice when you're doing it. And then the second step, which is so important, coming off the heels of noticing, and that's getting curious. Because a lot of times when we notice, we get up in our feelings about it and we might beat ourselves up for it. I know, you know, when I I looked at my own internalized misogyny, I was like, holy crap, I am a terrible human being. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, is no, I'm not. I am a product of a culture that made me this way and I'm human. And luckily I have the capacity to learn a different way of thinking and behaving. So it's just get curious. And I ask a over 250 questions in the book where Mm -hmm. that's what I'm asking people to do is just hold no charge around it. Like it's does, it's not good or bad. It just is get Mm -hmm. curious about it. And the third step is self-compassion, which is sort of obvious based on what I just said, you know, be kind to yourself. This is, this is really big work. Mm -hmm. And then the last step is to keep the momentum. So that is things like having conversations with your friends about it, not necessarily from the place of an expert, just to say like, Hey, I was reading this book and there was this chapter around, you know, X, Y, and Z just, here's what I learned. What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing the four steps. And I hope people wrote this all down, or you can just, you know, go back a little bit and write down what Andrea just shared again, because I think, you know, you talk about this in the book too, but we can't really implement anything new until we really understand the root 
of why mm-hmm. we feel or think that way. And I love at the beginning of our conversation, you're like, I am just all for understanding the root of why things are the way they are. And I think- Let's get it done. Let's get it done. And I think this is so interesting because so many of us, we want to implement new routines, rituals, ways of thinking, positive self-talk. And then when we do so, affirmations. And then when we do so, it doesn't feel right because we haven't mm-hmm. done that work of peeling back the layers you know, diving into that level of self-awareness, which to me, that's really what noticing feels like. It's like diving in and becoming more self-aware. And then once you, you know, get curious about it, which I know is step two, and then you start to, you know, not judge yourself. This feels like the hardest part for me is like removing that element of judgment and stepping into greater self-compassion because we are our harshest critics, like all the time. Like, I think that's really where for most of my life, this negative self-talk came in because you expect to be somewhere else. You expect to feel something else. You see what Uh other people are doing and then, you know, you compare yourself. So just having that element of self-compassion, hardest step are probably the most rewarding, which then gets you to this place of taking action. And so when you talk about for people taking action and keeping this momentum, where do you point them in terms of, you know, this unlearning? Are there tools, journaling prompts, anything you recommend? Of course, it's going to probably right depend on what we are unlearning, but is there anything that you use that's been a go-to for you? Oh, there are so many things. I'm a huge fan and advocate for therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I considered becoming one, but I I didn't think I I was, I don't know. I just, I didn't think it was for me. And uh, that's why I became a life coach and and speaker and author. Mm But I have had a therapist on and off since I was 17 mm-hmm. and even hired a new one in 2020 to go through some trauma therapy. And I, I think that the work is never done. And, and I, and I understand that it is a privilege to be able to pay for, um, for therapy, especially because how healthcare is in the United States, but, yeah. uh, yeah. It, it, if you can find a counselor or a therapist, I know that there's online options now, which are fantastic. So I think therapy can be helpful especially when you uncover something. I know that if people are listening to your podcast, they value personal development. So they might read something in a personal development book or um, hear something on a, on a show that they think to themselves like, oh, wow, that's me. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it's time to, to take your happy ass back to therapy. Like, it's, just, <laughs> it's never done. I mean, I'm 46 and have been doing this work for what feels like forever. And I do this for a living and I still go, I still mm-hmm. get hung up on old trauma, old family of origin stuff. And I don't make myself wrong for it. So anyway, that's my soapbox about therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, I always feel that journaling is helpful and, and please believe me when I say I'm not the biggest fan of it and I write for a living. But journaling does not have to be pages and pages of writing. It can be a sentence. It can be a post-it note. Like that's what you get done. It's just something. I also think that just being still, even if it is outside in nature or, you know, some people do yoga and meditation can vastly help our mental health. So also a big fan of that. Mm -hmm. Nothing, nothing new and shocking, like the same tools that everyone else, they work. Yeah, but just opportunities to process, like opportunities to process what you're thinking, what you're feeling. Um, I love what you shared earlier too about having these conversations with your friends, with people in your life that you really value. 
often we don't have these kinds of conversations. Like I, I'm sitting here reflecting on my my various friend groups and sometimes we go deep. Like sometimes mm-hmm. we talk about these things and then other times we don't. And I think normalizing conversations around, you know, taking up space on sharing your voice, on making noise in the world and why we feel we can or we can't. I mean, God, so valuable. So all my friends that are listening, mm-hmm. I'm going to be talking to you about this. Very yeah. Soon. Buckle up. <laughs> Buckle up. It's well, this coming. is one of the first questions I actually ask if I'm working with someone um, privately one-on-one. In one of our first sessions, I ask her to tell me like, who are the key people in your life? Mm. Who are the people that you can trust and that also trust you? And if they don't have them, that's one of the things that we work on. A lot of times mm. it's someone that has potential that they can nurture the friendship and we go from there. And I also want to acknowledge that sometimes it's really hard when you are somewhere, you know, maybe you're young and you are just out of college and, and your friends from high school and college just really aren't into having deeper, more meaningful Mm -hmm. conversations. I mean, that doesn't make them wrong or bad. It's just about you being intentional and proactive in finding friends. And I talk about that in the book and I list like, here's all the ways to like make friends because Mm -hmm. no one tells us how hard it is to make friends as adults. Nobody (laughs) talks about it. Nobody talks about it. And I actually found this incredible woman. She's a friendship coach. And I didn't even know that- Is it Shasta Nelson? No, it's uh, Danielle Bayard-Jackson. I don't know if you've heard of her. Okay, I think I know who that one is too. And I was like so- So speaking of TikTok, you brought this up earlier. I was so blown away by her TikToks because, you know, I never really thought about this. Like, yes, of course, it's more difficult to make friends, especially when you're out of a school setting and, you know, you make friends at work. But then what if you are, you know, self-employed and how do you make friends? And it's just so fascinating. It's something that, you know, I think we all experience. And then the difficulties that come up with friendships and how do you navigate it? You know, no one really taught us those things. And we kind of learn from our peers. And I remember, you know, in middle school, watching how other people handled difficulties with friends and falling out. And I thought that can't be the best way we handle this, but I didn't know, we know, a different Uh way. So, so interesting what you brought up about friends. I'm so glad you include that in the book. We need more guidance around this for sure. People are lonely. Like we're more connected than ever with social media, but I think Mm -hmm. we're also extraordinarily lonely. Yeah. And I was a terrible friend in my twenties. I was very fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I will say that like all (laughs) of my, my friends that I was, they will say Andrea was the fun one, but I was also confrontational and Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to set boundaries. And it was just terrible. And I've, I've actually circled back with some of them that I've, you know, kept in touch with. And we've had really candid conversations about it. And we, we both have admitted, like, we didn't know what we were doing. You know, mm-hmm. we didn't have maybe the greatest models with, with women friendships. Um, but it wasn't until I was deep into my thirties where I learned what real, you know, I, I don't love this term, but I'll use it like, um, like big girl friendships mm-hmm. actually are. Mm-hmm. And it, Know, hard, com- hard and loving conversations. Mm, I love that you said loving because whether it's about any kind of hard conversation, it's about coming, approaching it from that loving space, mm-hmm. you know, approaching difficult situations at work. I think for me, coming from a loving heart-centered space as much as possible, it has just paid dividends, like with my, even how I feel about those situations, um, let alone how someone else interprets it, but how I feel, you know, approaching right. somebody coming from that space and knowing, and knowing that you can, which goes back to the beginning of our conversation when we were talking about there really aren't enough models out there of women in leadership positions, in manager positions, in just situations of leading and being in the world 
in a way that is authentic to them as opposed to a model set out by men. Mm-hmm. I almost just said male model. And then I would think I'm talking, people would think I'm talking about <laughs> models and that is totally not I what I you're talking about models. A hundred percent. Well, you bring up a good point. You bring up a good point. And I, I it's something I want to ask the listener to get curious about, you know, yeah. not just the models in their life of, you know, maybe their mother or their sisters that they saw friendships, but look at the movies and TV shows that you watched. And mm. what did the, what did the women friendships look like? And, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, I grew up watching the Golden Girls and still watch the Golden Girls because it's yes. on Hulu and it's yes. one of okay, my wait, favorites. Who is your Golden favorite? Girls candles. Wait, I have <laughs> Golden Girls coasters. <laughs> Those are fantastic. Best present my husband oh ever got me. Oh my God. And I also have Golden Girls tarot cards that my That's best amazing. friend bought me for my birthday. Oh my um, God. I don't have a favorite because I, I love them all, but my point oh, is like, they were pretty awful to each other. Like they- Horrible. <laughs> undermining and the crappy comments made for great comedy. But like, if that was real, the way they treat Rose, I'm just Mm. like, y'all and the slut shaming of land, like, okay. And then, so I I guess like sex in the city is maybe the only Mm. TV show, but it's so revolved around anyway, I could go on and on, but I I just, there, there weren't a whole lot and they, how much are they going to show in a 30 minute, actually 22 minute, Mm -hmm episode that's heavily edited. They don't talk about, you know, what happens when, when your friend inadvertently hurts your feelings and Mm -hmm. you're, and it's weighing on you for days and days and you're, and usually we're like, I'll just let it go. It's not that big of a deal. She didn't mean it Mm -hmm. when really, you know, broke our heart a little bit. Like these are the conversations that we need to have that are excruciating and that I've had with my best friend. And I never like to be told that I hurt her feelings. Mm. And, but I do, and yeah. and we are closer because we can have those conversations. And yes, they are tearful. Yes, they make me feel like I'm going to have diarrhea. But like, this is what we need to do in order to have healthy relationships mm-hmm. with each other. Mm-hmm. The show Insecure on HBO, I think they do a I really- I have not seen that yet. I oh, need to watch it. I think you would love it. I, I think they do such a good job of showing the intricacies of friendships and relationships and- um, so anyone that's listening, definitely check it out. I, I I think that that show came to mind right away when you were talking about friendships. And um, another show that kind of, it's more modern. It's called The Bold Type on Freeform. It's so directed towards like younger generation, but I love it because it reminds me of Sex in the City. And I think they do a pretty good job too of showing, you know, when someone's feelings are hurt or they really, you know, a friend has offended you and navigating those difficult conversations. But growing up, I mean, I'm the Nickelodeon era of like rug, <laughs> Rugrats and then, you know, okay. Hagar, You're old old. Yeah. I'm a 90s kid. We didn't, or Lizzie McGuire. We didn't, okay. kind of in Lizzie, but we didn't really have that. And I know mm. in the book you talk about Grease and like Cha-Cha, the, the mm. movie. Yes. Love her. What is like, can you talk a little bit about her? Because it ties <laughs> so much, I know to confidence. And so like, what is I'm your obsession with Chacha? So, okay, we got to talk about this. So, you know, everyone, well, I shouldn't say everyone. A lot of people have their favorite Grease character, mm-hmm. and, you know, and if, and if you're a woman, it's probably Rizzo or Sandy. Mm-hmm. Or Frenchie. A lot of people like Frenchie. And that's fine. And mine has always been Chacha de Gregorio. De Gregorio. And if you don't know who she is, I'm not surprised because she did not have very many scenes and she had even less lines. And so she was the one who, towards the beginning, um, is it Kaniki that introduces yes. her? I can't remember. I think it he is. his arm around her. Mm-hmm. And he says, hey, Danny, I want you to meet um, um, Charlene De Gregorio. And she says, my name is Chacha because I'm the, be- they call me Chacha because I'm the best dancer at St. Bernadette's, yes. which a lot of people know what the next line is. It's Frenchie that says with the worst reputation, mm-hmm. but like, 
I am like so enamored that this woman just meets these people and she's telling them that she's the best dancer at her school. Like the confidence oozing. Yes. Can I have some? Right. And then she, and she's also like one of the most hated characters. If you go to clips on YouTube of her, people are, they hate her. She's villainized Why? for sure. She's so and it's villainized. level of confidence that's almost villainized, I think. And the, the sex appeal too, for sure. A hundred percent. And yeah. she, and I'm not asking people to go out and act like Chacha. Like she, she grabs Danny. She takes her date, you know, she takes Sandy's date away yeah. and Chacha did it because she wanted to win the dance contest and mm-hmm. she knew she needed a better partner than the one that she had. Mm-hmm. So they win the dance contest and she grabs the trophy out of the teacher's hand and waves it around. And it's just, if we look at her strictly from a place of symbolism, like mm-hmm. she was written in to be over the top, self-assured and confident. Sure. And I remember as a child, just being enamored by that and just like, whoa, what is that? But then also seeing how much people hated her and understanding that you don't act like Chacha, Mm. you act like Sandy. Mm -hmm. You know, you change at the end of the movie into a sexy woman for a boy. Like that's Mm -hmm. what we do. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, I grew up and my obsession with her continued. Mm. You know, it's so interesting when you talk about symbolism because when I think of her, I don't think of confidence until I like really read the book and understood what you were talking about. But I didn't think about her as confidence. I took her, I thought about her as the one that took Danny away from Sandy. And you're so right. Like we look, the way Sandy is sort of as a symbol of purity in a lot of ways and how as a woman you should be. And like you said, changing who you are to fit the mold of the man. She even has a white dress on in that scene. Yes, she does. Completely pure completely Mm -hmm. she has this white dress on and she did not fight for him she just like throws her hands up in the air and leaves out of the gym and doesn't even say like hey you came here with me and like danny doesn't walk away from cha-cha either we don't blame him no no all right so then when it comes to confidence i mean what do you tell people like do you have any advice or you know pieces of wisdom to share if they're like all right i want to step into this level of confidence maybe it's like chacha maybe it isn't but just being right. more confident in your own skin what do you share with people it's you know it is um one of those things that i'm i'm going to say something that people have probably heard before and i'm i'm glad because i think people need to keep hearing it yeah. like we cannot wait to do things until we're ready Mm. It is about, you know, confidence is built by just having a tiny bit amount of courage and taking the leap, not knowing if the net will appear. The net might not appear. Like, I can't promise you that it will. And we might fail and fall on our face. Like, that's how we build resilience. So confidence is built by taking action before you're ready and kind of gaining it on the other side, if that makes Mm -hmm, sense. mm -hmm. To put it very plainly, it's just realizing that you're not going to die from doing the thing. You know, I'm sure it was nerve wracking for you to start this podcast. Mm -hmm. And there are so many uh, programs. So when I started a podcast, there were no, there were no like courses and stuff on how to do it. And now there are a million. There was nothing. (laughs) How long ago did you start your show, by the way? 2013. Okay. I came in 2017. And even in that, at that point, I didn't feel like there was a lot, but not a lot. Yeah. Wow. You were way ahead started. of the curve. I was way ahead. Whoa. And, and, uh, it, it really is just about like doing the thing before you are ready, even yeah. if you are terrified. And there's, there's lots of other things I would love for people to have sort of prepared. Again, this goes back to friendship. Mm-hmm. Who are the people who's your support system? Like when you're about to do that scary thing, is it just people who are 
very safe and naysayers and like, oh, maybe you shouldn't, maybe you should be more ready. And are you sure you want to do that in this economy? And Mm. those types of things, like, no, you, you want the people who are going to support you, how you want to be supported. Mm. And also, you know, just another tool is, is to have, have your own Cha-Cha J. Gregorio, like is yours Beyonce or RBG or, you know, Michelle Obama, like whoever, you know, I talk about having a board of an imaginary board of directors, Mm -hmm. these people, they don't have to be women. They can, they can be someone of any gender, gender who are this imaginary group of people that you can turn to and look at and have them encourage you, even if it's just in your mind so that you can do the thing. Mm. I love what you said about, you know, just doing the thing before you're ready, like before you feel you are, and you may have a net that catches you and you may not. I always tell myself the right net will catch me. So whatever no. is whatever is supposed to come next is what's meant to happen. So I right. try not to put a lot of pressure on myself because I think that's where we get hung up too, is like we, ex- we are trying to manifest or visualize a very specific result. And that's why we keep waiting. We keep waiting because we're not confident that result will appear, that that particular net, you know, will appear. So I love what you said. And this idea of an imaginary board of directors, oh, I just love it. Because just imagine, you know, who do you want on your team? Mm-hmm. Who do you want there supporting you, advising you? Who can you look to? Is it people in your life? Is it people um, that you admire? I just think that's such a beautiful and worthwhile exercise. It reminds me of something someone thought asked me to do when I just graduated from law school in 2016. And I was super unclear about like what I was going to do and what life was going to look like. And he said to me, think about who you would want to be at a dinner table with. Like pick four or five people. Who are they? What do they embody? What do they symbolize? Um, do they have traits that you aspire to have or grow into? And I remember sitting down and like doing this huge brainstorm, printing out people's pictures, putting it on a poster. Like I really went there. I and, love that. And I just felt, I felt like I had an extra support system that I yeah. didn't have before. Now those people are never going to know that they were on my poster board, you know, maybe one, maybe one day they will, you never know. (laughs) But for me at the time, it just serves such a beautiful purpose of giving a little bit extra support that I totally needed. So thank you. I love that you did that. You unlocked a memory. I totally forgot I did that. Memory unlocked. Totally unlocked a memory. Cause I, you know, there's so many things that we do that you just totally forget about. So thank you. That was a good memory for me to have. I want to have, I want to have some compassion for people. And this is by no means giving people an out, but there are some days, I mean, some days are harder than others. You know, mm-hmm. as someone who I was diagnosed with anxiety disorder in 2003 and some, it's like a roller coaster, like living with mental illness. <laughs> it's like, yes, you it never is. know yeah. what you're going to get when you wake up. It's like no. a surprise. And some days I remember I've interviewed, um, you know, people that I've really admired. And I had Janine Roth on my, on my podcast and I was so nervous to interview her. And it, it's not, usually like me. Like I don't get, I've been doing this long enough and I have enough experience where I don't feel intimidated Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. by people, um, especially in my same field. But for some reason I felt intimidated. It was nothing she did. She was lovely and just so nervous. And then I felt stupid afterwards. And and I was like, you know what? Today was an anxiety day and I Mm -hmm. I can't plan for that. And I just chalked it up to, okay, wasn't my best day. Wasn't my best interview. And probably no one noticed who was listening, but yeah, some days are better than others. Self-compassion. It's Mm -hmm. really comes back down to self-compassion. I mean, I love what you just said. Like some days are just anxiety days. Hell yeah. Some days are like days where like, 
yeah, I'm not brushing my hair today. Yeah, this is the oh, best yeah. you're going to get on Zoom to all my coworkers. Like, I'm just doing my best, you know? Oh, there and are days your- where I've had to, like, cancel all my meetings. Those yeah. Are, those are and- bad days. And those are few and far between, but they happen. But knowing that it's going to happen and kind of mentally preparing and accepting it and being okay with it and having that level of compassion is huge. You know, this reminds me so much of something you talk about. I think it's in the intro of the book about how you want the reader to take what they need, to take what resonates and leave the rest. Because often Mm -hmm. we walk away from personal development or self-help books, podcasts, conversations, feeling a little bit worse. Like totally, I'm not stepped, like, you know what I mean? Like that feeling of, I'm not showing up in the way that this book is telling me I should, or I don't feel like I'm capable in this moment. And I just wanted to call that out because I think I love that you included that. And we need more of that as like a disclaimer, take what resonates, leave the rest. Don't put any pressure or judgment on yourself. It's just an opportunity for you to explore and learn something. And I just, am so glad you included that because like I said, we need more of it. Yeah. Toxic positivity is a thing, you know? And yes, uh, yes, it is. I didn't want people to, I see a lot of people who read personal development books and walk away from them feeling inspired and motivated and their life is exactly the same. And they Mm. think that they're broken or that they did something wrong. And then they feel worse than Mm -hmm. they did before they read the book. After I wrote my first book, you know, I had to really do some thinking about what I wanted my message to be. And, and like, I'll be honest, there's some toxic positivity in my first book. I wrote it in 2012. Um, I, I wasn't evolved enough to, to totally get it other than the lens and my experience that, that I have. So I, I do. I want people to, I want people to, you know, like I, I say in the book too, if you want to change your life, you have to change your life. But quite honestly, if you want to just listen to the audiobook and like have it playing when you work out, cause you like the sound of my voice, that's fantastic too. <laughs> like wherever you are is where you were meant to be. I truly believe that. I want to give people the dignity of their own process. And if that mm-hmm. means you read a hundred self-help books this year and don't make one change in your life, then that is your process. And mm-hmm. that is okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love this. I, I can't tell you how much I love this because I think, like you said, toxic positivity is a thing. It's a mm-hmm. running problem. I make it a huge point in my life and what I share on the podcast to say, hey, we really need to acknowledge the tough stuff, the hard stuff, and be okay with it. But also know your joy, and I say your joy because it is personal and unique to you and and what inspires you and how you want to live your life can also you know, exist at the same time. And so it's knowing that you can hold on to your routines, your self-care, your compassion for yourself, your joy, you know, and be where you are at in your process because it's your process. It's not going to look like- That's why they call it personal development because it's personal. Amen. Amen. You know, this reminds me of the beautiful poem you have at the start of your book called Burn It Down. What inspired this poem? And then if you're open to it, I would love for you to read it because I think it's a, I think in a lot of ways, it's kind of, it like beautifully encapsulates the book, makes some noise. Oh, thank you. In a lot of ways. Yeah. You know what? Poetry just lands in my lap. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to make it sound that easy. It is definitely not that easy to write a book. <laughs> no, it is not. And you've written oh, three. I've written three and mm-hmm. I have ideas for three more. Amazing. Um, Poems. I started writing poetry. My father passed away in 2016 and I wrote my way through it and Mm. some poetry came out and I haven't written poetry since my twenties and poems tend to, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this a lot of how, you know, they are, they're like ideas that like kind of come like wind through. And if we don't 
sit down to make the art that has been, you know, that is, that is making its way through us, then it will find someone else. Mm. So I try as much as possible when I get ideas like this to either sit down at my laptop or, or pull out the notes app on my phone and just jot it down. So that's where it came from. And it, mm. it came to me when I was in the middle of writing this book. So I thought, why not just, you know, put it in and my mm-hmm. editor liked it. So yeah, mm. I don't mean to like have such reverence in my voice, but <laughs> okay. It's called, it's called burn it down. And actually it's called burn it down because I wanted that title for the book, but another woman, um, there's another, it's an anthology of essays. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't read that book, but I bet it's good. It's mm. called burn it down. All right. She had fire in her belly and she used it to summon her truth. She had fire in her soul and she used it to remember where she came from. She had fire in her heart and she used it to trust the women who came before her. She had fire in her spirit and she used it to show other women their own flames. She had fire in her eyes and she used it to burn it all down. She had fire in her every being and she used it to blaze a new path, a new way, a new life. It's so good. It's so good. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for reading it as um, part of our conversation. So I want to ask you a couple of questions to close. I think the first one I want to ask you is, do you have a mantra or an affirmation, something that you hold on to um, that has either helped guide your journey or, you know, reminds you to, to continue to make some noise, to make your noise um, Mm -hmm. in this world? Yeah, it changes depending mm-hmm. on what season of my life that I'm in. You know, I had one um, about changing your path when I got sober in 2011. But lately, I found this mug, and actually, it's a it's a local woman who um, it's called Yay Brand. I'll show mm-hmm. it to you since you can see me. And it says, "I know exactly what I am supposed to do." I know it's kind of hard for you to see in the light, but no, I can see it. I, I saw it and I and I loved it because. It, I consider myself a pretty decisive person. I, I don't know if it's because I'm an Aries or what, but like I don't, I don't agonize over decisions very often, but there are times where I feel stuck and I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I should do and I don't know what's mm-hmm. next. And, and I love shifting over into that mantra. I know it exactly what I'm supposed to do. And also telling myself the clues are all around me. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what I am supposed to do. Oh, because you know what? That goes back to trusting your own inner wisdom, trusting your process, knowing that, you know what, wherever I'm at is where I'm supposed to be. And I can Uh can keep learning and moving and doing, but this is where I'm supposed to be right now in this space. And there's comfort in doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we speak the same (laughs) language for sure. Okay. So you mentioned you're in Aries. And to me, that makes so much sense. Do you know your rising and moon sign too? Yes. I just looked it up and now I can't remember. Dang it. I can look (laughs) up right now. I know I'm an eight on the Enneagram, which pairs nicely as an Aries. I think so too. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. That's hilarious. You know, I also wanted to ask you, because I think about so much about making noise is also, we feel like it's a risk, like to make the kind of noise in the world that we want to make feels risky. I'm sure there's so many risks that you've taken in your life, but is there one Mm -hmm. that stands out that has really like helped to guide you or, you know, keep you going on this journey, like a big risk that you've taken that it just felt like, God, like without it, I I wouldn't be here. There's been so many, I I have a high tolerance for risk, which drives my husband a little bit crazy, but, um, it's also great for entrepreneurship. I will take it for sure is. I, I think, um, Getting sober in 2011, I have, I'm what's considered a high bottom 
I, I didn't have, you know, I, I didn't have to go to rehab. I wasn't chemically dependent on alcohol, but I knew it was not good for my future. I knew I was headed, headed towards disaster if I kept drinking and I, I didn't want to quit drinking. I liked, I liked it. I liked wine. I liked happy hour with my friends. I liked, you know, mommy, mommy wine culture. I was into it. And, um, I just knew I had to take, had to take the risk of sobriety. What I was not expecting was the gift of recovery, which Mm -hmm. is so much more than just not drinking. Like not drinking is just, is a very, very minuscule part in recovery. It's all of the work that came with that. That's been the biggest personal development lesson of my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm incredibly grateful. I have almost 10 years. Wow. That feels like a whole other podcast conversation. We will have I'm to happy have to come back if you want to talk about point. it. That is beautiful. <laughs> All right. The last question I want to ask you is, this is really the one I ask everybody, but what is your biggest dream? Oh my gosh. I have so many. Um, mm-hmm. The one off the top of my head is that my wish is for the future generation of women and girls, um, you know, the girls, the gays and the theys maybe <laughs> that things change so that, and it's not just, it's not just for women and girls. It's, it's for everyone in the future that we can come to some kind of unlearning and relearning of a new way of thinking and believing and showing up for each other. Like we, if we want to come home to each other, we have to take a really hard look at what's been created and have a reckoning I mean, worldwide really, but just, and especially culturally, mm-hmm. and you know, you and I are here in the States. Um, it's a very big dream, you know, liberation for all, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. that's, that's it. That's my dream. I think it's coming slowly, but surely slowly not as fast sure. as, not as fast as I think we'd all like, but it's coming. Yeah. Andrea, I have loved this conversation. Thank you for coming on Likewise. the Joy podcast. So where can everybody find you connect get your new book, make some noise, let them know when it's coming out and, uh, and learn more. We made it super easy. AndreaOwen.com slash noise is where they can grab it. It's on audiobook, ebook, all the things also in bookstores, August 31st, and there's free bonuses. So I made a really beautiful workbook. I didn't, my team did. I wrote the questions, but <laughs> my team made it really beautiful and, and spell checked and all that good stuff. But that's, that's also there, andreaowen.com slash noise. And also come and say hi on TikTok or Instagram. I'm at Hey Andrea Owen on both of those platforms. Perfect. Everything's going to go in the show notes. We'll make it so easy for everyone to find you, connect, learn more. And I think, you know, if I could summarize my biggest takeaway from our conversation today. I think it's that you are here to make your own noise and shine your light, but to do so, you've really got to dig deep, get to the root of the why, the fear, the anxiety, the worry. And when you do, and you walk through this path of unlearning, ugh, the world is like your oyster, honestly, like it's just there for you and you can make it what you want and uh, take what resonates and and leave the rest. So Andrea, thank you so much. This was wonderful. I really appreciate the conversation. I appreciated you too. Thanks everybody. Seek the Joy podcast is a production of Seek the Joy Media and created, produced, and hosted by me, Sydney Weiss. 
You can tune into all of our episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're enjoying the show, hit follow and leave us a five-star rating and review. Make sure to join the community, join the conversation on our social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We are at Seek the Joy Podcast everywhere. And don't forget, you can actually watch today's new episode and all of our episodes on our brand new YouTube channel. Click that link in the show notes to subscribe and tune in. As always, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you right back here next week for another Seek the Joy Tuesday.